Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We kicked off this conversation last week and had a great start with it. But one thing that we acknowledged is that although Christmas season is here and among us, and I hope you have your tree and your decorations and all that good stuff going right now, um, it's not just the holly jolly Christmas season around the church, but there is actually a church calendar uh, that Christian churches all throughout the world follow uh, just to kind of align around significant moments in Jesus's life and Jesus's story to kind of guide us as we gather together. And so sometimes around here we hop on with that, sometimes we don't. Uh, but the season that the church is in on the church calendar right now is the season of Advent. And what Advent is, is it is this four-week season leading up to Christmas Day uh, that mimics the waiting that happened before the very first Christmas. You may or may not know this, but uh, before the very first Christmas, there were like 400 years where God effectively went silent and God's people were left wondering and waiting and hoping that God would show up and keep his promises, that God would rescue them like he had promised to do. But the people in the midst of that time were waiting and they were wondering. And one thing that Advent does for us is it's supposed to be a season where we also wait, where we also anticipate the hope that we celebrate on Christmas and and kind of evaluate ourselves in the midst of that. The purpose for this season, if you want to call it that, is you're actually supposed to feel the waiting. You're supposed to feel the longing for rescue that may exist in your life. And uh, last year, I came across a book that really shaped my thinking regarding some of this. It's kind of guiding our conversation over these weeks. It's called Honest Advent. It's written by a guy named Scott Erickson, or he goes by Scott the Painter because he's a painter and illustrator and artist. Uh, But he wrote this book that's 25 different meditations on what the title says, on what it looks like to have an honest Advent season. Essentially, he acknowledged that uh, so much of what goes into Christmas is amazing, and, and we love celebrating it, like all the holly jolly, like candy cane, amazingness. It's good, but life isn't always like that. And so he was asking the question, what does it look like for us to be honest about what life is like in the midst of our waiting and in the midst of our anticipating? And really, he, he meditates on the story that's at the heart of Christmas, uh, not the stories that we love to watch on our Christmas specials, but the story of Jesus's birth. And if you look at that story, it's a messy story. It's a story of family and all the dynamics that come with that, a story of pregnancy and all the complication that can show up along with, it, with that, a story of traveling. If anybody's traveling o- over the holidays, you know like that can be a lot happening, right? So there's some of that in there. And ultimately, it's this story of God with us in the midst of whatever we're facing. And I think if we're honest, when you think about Christmas, Christmas can often come wrapped with all kinds of pressure around it. Isn't that true? Is anybody feeling that already? Like we're at December 4 today, but yeah, you got, yeah, I feel it. Uh, there's always the pressure to get it right. Like you got to get the right gift for everybody. And uh, I was laughing actually, if you're like me, the pressure to get the right gift doesn't settle in until about December 23rd uh, when you're like, oh no. But uh, my wife yesterday was down in Indy and she went into a couple of shops and she said, I don't think I'm going to stay down here and shop very long because it's just too crazy. We're so close to Christmas. I was like, we're close to Christmas. You're like 20 days till we're close to Christmas in my world. But there is this pressure to get the right gift and and to experience the joy on maybe your kids' faces or or your loved ones' faces when they open that up and it's it's like powerful moment. Uh, Sometimes we feel pressure to have the right setting 
getting out your decorations, getting the right music going, maybe making the house smell amazing or whatever your thing is. There's all kinds of effort that goes into that, and sometimes that effort can feel like pressure to have it all together. Uh, sometimes I think Christmas can just bring with us the pressure to produce the right feelings somehow. Like Christmas is supposed to be about joy and warmth and fullness and love and happiness and delight. And, and sometimes that feels like pressure, trying to create all of those experiences for yourself and for your loved ones along the way. I felt that a little bit this week uh, because I had promised my four-year-old that on Monday we were going to get out the tree and get things decorated. And so like that was the date. Everybody was home that night. It was going to be great. I lugged down the tree from out of our attic and got it down there safely. I, I told you last week we have a puppy, but we somehow wrangled her from like eating all the branches and that stuff. So it was going well until I got the thing up. I set it up and I plugged it in and I remembered that last year... I had some problems with the lights. Why do we always do that, right? We should fix it before we put it away. But anyway, I put it away. We had the problems with these lights. And so there's like three whole strands around our pre-lit tree, which by the way, I am team pre-lit artificial tree uh, because I don't have time for the rest of that. But you do you. I set the thing up and I'm like, oh no, now I'm gonna have to mess with these lights. So it's like getting late. It's late in her world at least, like eight o'clock, pushing nine o'clock. And she's like, can I put the ornaments on yet? <laughs> and I'm like, no, like, it's messy Christmas here, but not there. Like, I don't want it to look like that in my house. And so I ended up running out to Kroger, and I was trying to find uh, some replacement bulbs or, or just another light strand that I could throw on the thing. And all I could find were the LED ones, and this is like an older tree with the incandescent bulbs. So then I, brought, I bought some, and we plugged it in, and it looked weird. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. So then we just pushed it back, and then it was uh, Thursday night. We were trying again. And I spent a good chunk of the day Thursday replacing little bulbs because I thought I was going to fix the whole thing. So I bought extra strands. I pulled them out of their holders. I put them in the other holders. I think I did 50 light bulbs. Yeah, so I was feeling the cheer. Um, <laughs> but I did it. And then I realized what the problem was. And the problem was me because last year we had a similar problem. And I had an outdoor light set that I paid no attention to whatever the wattage bulb was or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just sub this thing in there. And then I realized that I was overloading my light strands because as I kept replacing all 50 of those bulbs, I was torching them every time I tried to turn it back on because the wattage was too high. So I'm not a smart man. I learned that. And I learned that Christmas can be messy, okay? I have proof. We got the thing up. Target saved the day. Got some more lights. The girl is happy. Christmas is saved. Uh, but my point is that sometimes Christmas is messier than we like to admit, right? Like, we had the whole holiday. It's going to be an amazing night. We're going to watch Rudolph and listen to the music. And, and then I'm sitting there, like, tangling light strands and going through the dad rite of passage of, like, trying to figure it out. A and maybe for you, this season kind of feels that way. Like, like, maybe it's not the frustration of getting decorations up, but maybe life isn't as holly jolly as you want it to be. Uh, maybe work is crazy in this season, and you're just going and going and going, and it feels like there's no end in sight, and it's adding all this pressure onto you. Uh, maybe there's something going on with your health, and, uh, you know, maybe you just feel a little out of shape and you're trying to work on that, but that adds pressure, or maybe there's some kind of a diagnosis you've gotten and, and you don't know what treatment looks like, and there's all the stress with that. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's broken, if you're honest, and it doesn't feel like Christmas is supposed to feel because you know things are off and there's just this conflict, whether it's with a spouse or a significant other or one of your kids. Like, what I hope you can see because of our time together throughout Advent is that this story of Christmas and the nativity, it's not meant to be just some decoration that we set out every year. And since I was talking about Eden, I just had to share this photo. Uh, my mom sent this this week. Uh, she said it's the fourth wise man, <laughs> or wise guy, I think is what she said, which is even better. But like Christmas or the nativity story, it's not just meant to be this like 
sanitized version that we set out on our front lawns to kind of be festive, but rather the story is meant to reveal something important to us. It's supposed to show us that God enters in to the midst of our messes. And like I said, we sanitize the story often because you know what's missing in that photo? All the like animal stuff, right? There's animals, but in that manger, you bet that there was animal business happening. Okay, last week we talked about pregnancy, right? And I felt the room get a little uncomfortable because that's another thing we like to sanitize. Like I said birthing and everyone was like, (gasps) but like there's none of that in the picture, right? But uh, you bet that that was a part of that very first Christmas. And what Christmas shows us, if the incarnation is real, then it means that Jesus actually wants to meet us right where we are. It means that Jesus didn't just show up at that first Christmas, but that Jesus might want to meet you in this Advent season in the middle of whatever mess you may be in. And so last week, we kicked this whole thing off, and we talked about the idea of vulnerability. And just to recap really quickly, what we said is that all meaningful connection requires vulnerability. That that if you want to have a meaningful relationship with someone or a meaningful relationship with God, vulnerability is the pathway to get there because eventually your presentable version, your false version, right, your church version or your Instagram version, eventually it will fail you. And what you're left with is real you. And isn't it true that often it is when we're in those most vulnerable moments that some of our deepest relationships are formed? When all the other stuff is taken away and someone really sees us and accepts us for who we are, it can be a powerful thing. And the incredible reality of the Christmas story last week we said is that the word of God, like God who created everything and sustains everything, that the word of God was incarnated or embodied, that God showed up through human vulnerability, that God was willing to become one of us. And he didn't just show up as like 33-year-old, awesome, buff, bearded Jesus, but he went through the whole process. He went through the whole birth process. He went through the whole growing up process. He engaged in the vulnerability of life. And what we said last week is that means a few things for us. One thing it means is that life itself is valuable. And if you're here this season, I mean, I know we're kind of making light of a messy Christmas, but if you're here this season and you're going through something hard and you've questioned if life is worth it, man, Jesus would say life is inherently valuable. It was valuable enough for him to enter in to our story through a human life. And so that means that your life matters no matter what mess you may be facing as well. But the other thing we said that it means is that Jesus actually comes to us in peace. Sometimes along the way, we pick up this image that God is angry at us and he wants to come and punish us or judge us. But if that's at the heart of who God is, he wouldn't have arrived in the way that he did. Right? If God wanted to show up and just punish us or alienate us, maybe he would have shown up with an army or lightning bolt or whatever it may be, but that's not how he chose to arrive. Jesus arrived on the scene as a vulnerable little baby who was dependent on the very people he came to save. And what that tells us is that if God starts out that vulnerable, he's longing for connection, not alienation. And so last week we said that the question isn't, is God willing to connect with us? But the big question is, are we willing to do the same? Because just as the word of God was incarnated through human vulnerability, we can connect with Jesus through the very same human vulnerability. And and so we wrap things up by saying that maybe that's what this season needs to look like for you. You need to open yourself up to God and be willing to admit what you don't know about the mess that you're in. You need to be willing to acknowledge your need or maybe acknowledge your limits and be your vulnerable self to God. So we're going to keep talking about this idea of vulnerability a little bit more today because I think it's really at the heart of the Christmas story. And the thing about vulnerability is a good image for it is the idea of like taking off your armor. In fact, if you drill down on the word uh, vulnerability, it's like a Latin stem slapped onto another word. And the Latin stem literally translates wounds. 
So it's like wound ability, basically, or, or vulnerability is giving ourselves the ability to actually be wounded, to open ourselves up, to take the armor off and be exposed. A and there's risk involved in that. And that's why many of us don't like it, right? Many of us don't like being vulnerable because it feels risky. It feels like we might get hurt. And maybe one of the most vulnerable or mo most the biggest risks related to vulnerability is the risk of being seen. Because if you're really seen by someone, then you know what's on the line because they, they see you for who you are and it begs the question, are they gonna accept you for who you are? Are they gonna love you for who you are? Or are they gonna confirm your deepest fears that when you're you and you're vulnerable and you're exposed, you're not worthy of that kind of love? There's a character in the Christmas story who had his own encounter with vulnerability. Uh, and in fact, the choice of being vulnerable is the very thing that makes him a part of the Christmas story and makes the whole Christmas story possible at all. And so we're gonna spend some time looking at him today. Uh, and it's Joseph that we're talking about. Joseph, who is Jesus' earthly father. Uh, he was engaged to be married to Mary. And uh, here's how Matthew talks about Joseph's part in the story. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Here's what's tricky about the Bible. Uh, the Bible sometimes like sums up in a sentence what was actually a really dramatic and profound moment in the individual's life. And sometimes the Bible will like, give us the punchline long before the people who are living the story ever had the punchline. And this is one of those examples. Because we read this and we probably just keep moving, right, with the Christmas story. Like, okay, Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, at this point, we have nothing that indicates he had any idea that the Holy Spirit was involved at this point. So all that Joseph knew is that Mary was pregnant and it wasn't his. All that Joseph knew was like this was a mess, right? And he doesn't know the end of the story the way that we do. And so as Joseph is experiencing this, he finds out Mary is pregnant. He doesn't know how, but he knows it wasn't him. And he's left trying to figure out what to do with it. He's left trying to navigate this tension. And, and the text goes on and says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph finds himself in the midst of this tension. A and that phrase that Joseph uh, was faithful to the law, some other translations say that Joseph was a righteous man. Uh, that's not just like a compliment. It was actually a specific thing uh, that the author is referring to because in uh, first century Judaism, what it meant to be a faithful person to the law or to be a righteous man is, is that Joseph did his very best. He put his effort in to upholding every bit of the Torah or the 600 something laws that God instructed his people to follow. Joseph was diligent in following that. He had a good reputation in the community as a person who was faithful along the way. And the problem for Joseph is within the Torah, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy as we know it, there's actually some instruction or some law about what to do if a woman is found being unfaithful to her husband or to the person that she's been pledged to. And it's really archaic feeling and it's kind of terrible for us to look at and that's a different topic for a different day. But when you read through it, uh, the instruction is essentially one of two things needs to happen. This woman needs to be brought to the religious elders of the community to be judged and that normally doesn't go very well or she needs to be brought to her father and most likely be stoned, be put to death. I and so that's what Joseph knows as a faithful man to the law is on the line with Mary, the woman that he loves. And so Joseph's in the middle of a mess. Joseph is in li living in this tension because he has to do something. But he has the knowledge 
but he's wearing his righteousness like a badge of honor. He's proud of how faithful he is to God and how faithful he is to the law, but he loves Mary and he's trying to figure out what to do. And I think for all of us, like probably none of us have been in that exact situation, but all of us have felt the tension between doing what we're supposed to do to fit in and maybe doing what we feel called to do or what's really happening. Like probably most of us in the room haven't tried to really follow Jewish religious law to the letter the way that Joseph did, but all of us know what it's like to try to fit in with a group. And almost every group has its version of a righteousness code, right? If you don't believe me, we'll just jump into the deep end and go to politics. Like, you know if the Democrats are good or bad, right? And you know if the Republicans are good or bad. You know who's in and you know who's out, depending on wherever you find yourself. And wherever you find yourself, you're welcome here today. Uh, but my point is we do this in all kinds of groups, probably in your friend group, right? You know who's good, you know who's bad. You know the people that you like, you know the people that you like to talk about. You know the music that you like, you know the clothes that you like to wear. Like there's these unspoken rules that show up in our lives. It happens in dating all the time, right? You like, you try to crack their code and they try to crack your code and you all like present to each other and then you get married and then you find out what's real, right? But like all of us have been in this situation where we've tried to follow the rule or we've tried to follow the law or figure out the code in order to fit in. And I think one of the main reasons we do this isn't necessarily because we're so righteous or because we're such great people, but often we follow things like laws to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves out of trouble, and in some ways, to keep ourselves from being vulnerable. Because it's like putting on armor. Like as long as I'm doing the right thing, as long as I'm following the rules of the group, nobody's paying attention to me, and nobody has to know what's really going on. But remember what we said last week, it's that vulnerability is a prerequisite of a meaningful connection that vulnerability is required to have meaningful relationships. And so Joseph is here and he's feeling the tension and the anxiety of the situation where he has this hard choice to make. He can follow the letter of the law, the law given to him by God in his faith. He can follow the letter of that and it's gonna mean most likely a violent end to Mary's life and to this child's life that he hasn't even met. Or he can take off his armor. He can be vulnerable, but risk his reputation risk everything that he knows and everything that he's worked for. And like, what do you do in a situation like that? What do you do in a mess like that? Well, Joseph decides to make the vulnerable choice. He decides to ignore what he has worked his whole life to upkeep with the law. And instead, he chooses to give Mary a chance. And Matthew goes on and says, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I think what we often overlook in the story is we often overlook the uncertainty and the unease that was in this story for the people who actually lived it. Like Joseph, it, it took some serious courage to be willing to say no to what he believed God had instructed him to do to follow the thing that it appeared God was actually doing in that moment. Like it, the chaos and the messiness of that uh, was so odd, but Joseph didn't know the end of the story. And yet Joseph discovered something that I think we need to discover this season as well. If we wanna find God in the midst of a messy Christmas. And what Joseph discovered is that unease is often a part of growing. That uncertainty is often the pathway God uses to grow us and to challenge us and to stretch us. Because many of us have encountered a group like that where we knew what the expectation was. We knew what we had to do to fit in. We knew what we had to do to be a part. And think about how scary it is in that moment to say no. 
I'm not going to do that. And to show up as yourself, it's vulnerable. It's like taking off your armor. But what I want you to see this season is maybe God wants to use a situation like that in the same way he did at that first Christmas, to grow you, to challenge you, to invite you into a bigger understanding of who he is and who you are in light of who he is. Because here's the thing with Joseph. Joseph could have stayed righteous and armored up. That would have been the easier choice in some ways, right? He would have just gone with the law. He would have known, hey, I'm 100% good with God because it's right there in the text. And off we go. And sorry, Mary, like you made a bad choice. I don't know. But he didn't do that. He, he didn't do that. Instead, he took the riskier move. He chose to be vulnerable and he chose to give her a chance. And what that led to was connection. And what it led to was growth. And it led to this opportunity for the Christmas story to even happen. And for Joseph himself to be a part of it. Even in the face of the unknown, and even in the face of the uncertain, he was willing to give God a chance, even when he couldn't explain it, and even when he didn't understand it. And maybe that's the same invitation for you and for me today. Something that we talked about last week uh, was the vulnerability of pregnancy, like the vulnerability of that journey. And we just talked about how like, remarkable it is that God actually chose that process to enter into our world. In the first century, childbearing, like the risks and the statistics were not on God's side, but he stepped into it anyway. And uh, I was thinking about this because uh, I've got a friend who's expecting in a few months, and man, she has had a rough go of it uh, with our good old friend morning sickness. And I don't know why they call it morning sickness because for her, it's just sickness. Like <laughs> every time I see her, it's like, hey, head into the bathroom because I'm going to get sick. A and she's like wrestling through that. Apparently it's a like, genetic thing that runs their family and she's going to have it like not just one trimester but the whole term. <laughs> Her family just deals with that. And it's like ugh, such an uncomfortable, awful thing that she's carrying and dealing with. But have you ever thought about the fact that Mary, mother of Jesus, probably went through that too? L like have you ever stopped to think about the humanity that's wrapped up in the story Mary went from the angel showed up and announced this incredible news. She starts singing like she's elated. She can't believe that God has chosen her. And then I would be willing to bet a few months later, she's got her head down in the toilet, like doing her thing. Right? Like, like there's this messy reality in the midst of it. There's this uneasy reality of what it looked like to carry Jesus's incarnation, to carry Jesus showing up. And maybe that's what life looks like for you this season. Right? Maybe you had something happen that you were excited about, that you were looking forward to, but now as you're getting into it, it's not as easy as it looked. It's not as good as it seemed on the front, and so you're uneasy and you're unsettled. Maybe you're like stepping into the uneasiness of trying to date again, and you're like, how do I even do this? Or, or maybe you're stepping into a new career. Uh, there's all kinds of things that can show up, that can unsettle us, that can fill us with uncertainty. But the vulnerable act that we have to do, if we want to find God in the midst of that mess, in the face of unease, is we have to trust what is asked of us before we even know the outcome. We have to trust what is asked of us before we know the outcome. In, in the midst of the mess, we have to be willing to believe that God can show up in it if we give him our yes first. And, and think about this. Like, why does a mother, an expecting mother, go through the unease of uh, morning sickness? It's love. Right? She loves this child that, that's growing and, and this new life that's going to be here someday. She presses through it. And here's the point. Last week, we said that vulnerability is a prerequisite for connection. I want to take it a step farther today because I believe vulnerability is really the only pathway to love. It's the only pathway to truly experiencing the fullness of love, even including unease and uncertainty. 
It is the pathway to experiencing love. And so maybe for you, this season, in the midst of whatever mess you may be carrying, maybe the divine presence you're looking for, that experience or that encounter with God, maybe it's actually found in the midst of your present unease. Maybe it's actually found in the midst of the uncertainty. I think for a lot of us, that's hard to believe because we want to be like Joseph and like that religious culture that existed that says, no, 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 I have to follow the law. I have to follow the rules. And we feel like love is something that we actually have to earn. And so many of us along the way, we've picked up that, that to be loved by God and to experience the love of God, it's something we have to earn, that we have to do the right things and not do the wrong things, and then I'll be loved. And if you've ever tried to play that game, which we all have, by the way, you probably have found that it's a vicious cycle because what happens is you can't live up to your own standard, let alone God's. And so we try, and we try and do it, we try and keep it together, and then eventually we mess up, and then we're like, God, please forgive me, and he does, and so then we're gonna try even harder, and then we mess up again, and then we're like, God, please forgive me, and then he does, and on and on it goes, but it leaves us in this state where we're constantly questioning if we're good enough, where we're constantly questioning if we have it together enough, if we have actually earned love, and I think one of the biggest things that can keep us in that cycle is the experience of shame. And shame is like the ultimate opposite of vulnerability. Because what shame is, is shame is the lie that tells us that we're unlovable. Shame is the lie that says you went too far. You messed up too bad this time, right? Shame is even that little voice that shows up that says like God would use you more if you were a better Christian like them. That that God would show up in your life in a bigger way if you knew the Bible a little better. Like shame can show up in so many different ways. And there is a way of operating your faith that looks like earning love. But what I want you to hear today is there is a different way of experiencing your faith. There is a different kind of spirituality that doesn't operate to get love, but that operates from love, that understands that God himself loves you first, and then he calls you to be made in his likeness. But we have to start in the right spot. And that is exactly what we see in Jesus's life. As Jesus grows, Jesus never tries to earn his father's love but rather he understands that he is already living from it and it makes all the difference. And don't get me wrong, life was still complicated and messy for Jesus. Like love was still complicated and messy for Jesus. Jesus was incredibly misunderstood. He, he would teach something and then people would ask him questions and I think half the time Jesus is like, were you listening to anything that I just said? Because like you missed the point entirely. He was misunderstood. His family was skeptical of him, skeptical of some of the claims that he was made, uh, making along the way. At one point, all of his friends left him and his life ends on a cross. Like, if Jesus' operating mode of experiencing love required him earning it, his life would have looked like a complete failure because people left him. People didn't understand him, right? He, he didn't do it right in that sense, but that's not what Jesus knew love to be about. Rather, Jesus knew that he was loved first and living from that love is what empowered him to experience God in the way that he did. It, it's Jesus's vulnerability, being rooted in love that allowed him to forgive other people. It, it was his vulnerability rooted in love that emboldened him to see other people in the midst of their pain and have empathy with them. And it was the very thing that helped him spark hope. So jumping back to Joseph really quick. Remember, he's, he's in that tension-filled moment. He, he has the vulnerability decision in front of him where he can just go with the law and go with what he knows and go with what's comfortable or he can follow this inkling that maybe God is doing something different and he says yes to the vulnerable but uncertain path and because of that choice to love Mary and, and to trust God despite what he thought he knew, the story moves forward. 
Jesus is born, right? Joseph is a part of the story. But I was thinking about it this week. If you fast forward Jesus's story about 30-something years, there's another encounter in Jesus's story that is very similar to what Jesus's mother went through. And I don't know, I've never actually made this connection before. I feel like it's really obvious now that I see it. But there's this time where Jesus is uh, doing his ministry. He's a man now, grown up and, and out and about. And the religious leaders grab this woman that they found caught in adultery. And they bring her in front of the temple. And, and they bring her to Jesus. And, and they're saying, hey, this woman has been caught doing the wrong thing. And is a, basically, the text tells us it's a trap for Jesus. They turn to him and they say, what do you think we should do with her? The law says that we should kill her. What do you think we should do? And what I've never stopped to think about is that Jesus, in that moment, had to have realized that could have been his mother. That could have been Mary, had Joseph make a different choice, right? That, that the vulnerability of Joseph was right there in front of him on the line. And, and so the people ask Jesus, and here's what he does. It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and he started writing on the ground. And uh, we don't know what he was writing. Some scholars think that he was actually writing out the sins of all of those religious leaders right next to him. But whatever he's writing, he takes a moment. And it says, at this, those who heard Jesus began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And then Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And then Jesus, the only one, by the way, who had the right to throw a stone by his own standard, says, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I mean, that's a powerful interaction in and of itself, but how much more powerful is it knowing that Jesus was interacting with a woman who was in the same vulnerable position that his mother was as she was carrying him? unexpectedly. Now look, I get it. The, si the situation, the circumstance is different. This woman made her decision. Mary was following God. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but my point is that Jesus shows up and he extends love to her. He extends grace to her and he extends truth to her all at the same time of this moment. And that's the way that God shows up on the other side of our vulnerability and our willingness to trust him. It's funny, I talked about this obviously in our first service, and in between services, I had some people come up to me kind of asking follow-up questions. L like they were like, so are you saying like Joseph disobeyed the law in order to like love Mary? Which is a tricky question, right? I mean, it kind of reads that way, and it brought us Jesus, remember? But it's like, it's so difficult, and I think it reveals in all of us our tendency, whether we're like law and truth people or we're like mercy and grace people, because all of us tend to be like one or the other where we're like, nope, the rules are the rules and you follow them or else, or come on, give them another chance. Like all of us naturally go one way or another. But John, reflecting on Jesus in this moment, reflecting on his experience of Jesus throughout his life, when he set out to record and write down what Jesus' life was like, he started with a poem. And here's how that poem goes. He says that the word became flesh. I in other words, a God who organized everything and controls everything and sustains everything chose to put on a body and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. A and when he set out to try and describe what that glory looked like, 
the only thing he could say is it was full of grace and full of truth. Most of us are one or the other, right? We're grace or we're truth. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth all the time. And what that means for us, as we're trying to navigate uncertainty this season, as we're trying to figure out where God is in the midst of a messy Christmas, it means that he wants to offer you grace and he wants to offer you truth. And what that means is that he is the fullness of love that he said that he would be. And for you this season, if you're wrestling through it, and you feel like you're in that vicious cycle where you've got to be good enough for God and you've got to get it right and you've got to navigate all the pressures of this season, here's what I think Jesus would say to you today. It's that love isn't earned. It's given. God's love for you, it's not earned. It's freely given from the very start. And I don't know the answer to the whole like, did Joseph break the law or did he like, I think he did the right thing. I'm glad for Jesus being around and all that. But like, I don't know. But what I know is that eventually Jesus shows up and he gives us a new law. And he says, in fact, Paul, as he reflects on that law that Joseph broke, he says that law's purpose was essentially to show you that we couldn't keep it. And instead, Jesus says there's a new law and it's to love one another the way that he loved us. And it is that simple. Friends, a religion that's gonna be based on earning your love, on earning God's love, is ultimately gonna fail you because someday you're gonna wanna be loved for the real you, not for your performance. You're gonna want to be loved for the you that fails sometimes. And in fact, as we're wrapping up, there's an incredible thing at the start of Matthew's gospel, Matthew's account of Jesus' life, that reveals how okay God is with our messes. Because Matthew starts out, and Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. So he's trying to convince people that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, that he's fulfilling all of the promises that God had made through the prophets over the years. And so he starts out with this genealogy, where he traces Jesus all the way back to King David, who the Messiah was supposed to come from. And, and, and so he spells it out. It's the part that we normally skip because it's like a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. And we're like, why is that there? But man, it is so important that it's in there because that genealogy that, that Matthew spells out, it is not a polished resume for Jesus. It is not like the hall of fame of amazing faith-filled people. It is some of the messiest, most messed up people who show up and they're right there in Jesus's bloodline. They're right there as a part of the story. All the misfits of the tradition are right there in the line of the Savior of the world. And God chose that. God chose that. And what that means for us today is that God still chooses to show up in the middle of messes. That God can still show up in the middle of your mess. And, and so what if this season, maybe you're facing some uncertainty. I, I doubt you have a decision like Joseph's in front of you, but you probably have some big decisions in front of you some things that you're carrying that you don't know what to do with. Maybe you feel that tension between like, I know what seems right and I know what I feel like God's leading me to do and I don't know what to do with that. What if in this season you asked yourself what unexpected place God might want to meet you in this season? I mean, this story is all about God doing the unexpected. Nobody thought God would show up as a tiny baby, that God would be that vulnerable. Nobody expected that. And what if you asked yourself, what can I learn because of the place that I'm in? What if your unease and your uncertainty wasn't the enemy or the barrier to encountering God, but what if it's the very pathway that God wants to show up in the midst of your uncertainty? And what if you, in that moment, understood that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he really is full of grace, full of truth, and fully love that wants to meet you in this season, freely given, 
so that it can be freely extended as well. That's what I believe God wants for you this season. I think he wants to show up in the midst of whatever you're facing with the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth that you might experience the fullness of his love even in the face of uncertainty. Because love is not earned, but love is a gift that we receive. And, and God's love is a love that is big enough to have room for your uncertainty, to have room for your unease. It is a love that's full of grace and truth, and it's a love that I believe is given for you this season. So let me pray for you. God, uh, man, this can be so confusing for us to figure out what it looks like to, to be present to you, to be vulnerable to you. And, and as we talked about last week, like we know that you showed up for us, but we're trying to figure out how to show up for you. And I just pray for my friends here today who maybe are caught in some kind of tension, who are caught in some kind of uncertainty or unease. And I pray that they would have such a deep understanding that they, in no way do they have to earn your love by being good enough. That in no way do they have to earn points with you because you loved us first. And God, for my friends who are navigating a, a mess, friends who are navigating uncertainty, I pray that you could show up in the midst of that mess. That they could see the uncertainty and the unease not as a barrier to encountering you, but maybe as the very pathway that you want to use. And God, throughout the next few weeks as we continue to lean in together, I pray that you would show up in a big way through whatever present circumstances they're facing. In the midst of that, that we could all experience love in a new way. Thank you for the free gift of your love, of your grace, and your truth that leads us into your likeness. We pray and ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.